All right, legends. Welcome back, dude, to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive, truly. It's a Volk fight week, ladies and gentlemen. Alexander Volkanovsky is returning this week at UFC 298 against Ilya Taporia, and that's exactly what we're here to discuss. This is the UFC 298 Young Investor Meeting. This podcast is for anyone who is looking to up their financial game, create generational wealth, as it were. I would like to present a series of opportunities over the next half hour or so with extremely low-risk downsides with unbelievably high upsides. If that's something that you'd be interested in, I suggest you continue listening to this podcast because we're here to create generational wealth. And a lot of people say, hey, Bill, this is actually pretty reckless. you gambling seven-leg multis on the UFC. You don't actually have that much money. This is a bad habit. You often lose. Okay? People who are saying that, this is selfish. This is reckless. Why don't you ask my grandkid in 30 years' time when he's whipping around our massive pool on his own private jet ski on a Sunday afternoon, a balmy Sunday afternoon, why don't you ask that, that kid on his jet ski that his granddad bought him if this is selfish? Because I think he might have a different answer to what my friends of family have presented to me recently. So here we bloody come, UFC 298, and it's exciting. It's, it's not the best betting card, but also, who gives a fuck? I'm going to bet anyway. And this is, a, this is something that I'm looking forward to doing. I was going to do one of these for each UFC pay-per-view throughout the year. I did one in December for Colby Covington and Leon Edwards. And then UFC 297 in January, I looked at it and I just thought, this is doing nothing for me, to be honest. And at the end of the day... If you're not really excited to talk about it, what is the point? It's not like the UFC is handing me $50,000 to do this podcast. So if I'm not that into it, I'm not going to do it. But I think from now on, we should be all sweet with the pay-per-views and the young investor meetings. Also, probably for the best, because last January at UFC 297, I was all in on Myra Bueno Silva. I thought she was going to kill Raquel Pennington. So could not have been more wrong and happy to save whatever's left of my public reputation by dodging that one. But either way, if you're someone who's sick of waiting for feta cheese to come on special at Woolies, if you watch The Wolf of Wall Street and think, hey, I work in an Optus store selling iPhones, but why can't my lifestyle reflect that of Leonardo DiCaprio's? I'm happy to say I have the answers you seek. So here we bloody go. And this is a fantastic pay-per-view. The main card is sick. And there's a couple of fights on the prelims that I'm also pretty into. And that's really all you can ask for. I know UFC 300 is coming up. And I think Conor McGregor is versing John Jones on the prelims or what have you. But for your average UFC pay-per-view, there is absolutely nothing wrong with UFC 298. The return of the Volk, the pound-for-pound goat, the pride of Windang. Wow. Doesn't get much better than that. So let's whip into it. Alexander Volkanovsky is headlining this bad boy against Spain's own Ilya Taporia. This is toey as hell, this fight. Ilya Taporia has been running his mouth relentlessly, and you do have to take it quite seriously because he's very attractive. 
You know when a hot person will say, I can do this? And if anyone else said it, you'd be like, you can't do that. But they're so hot, it like convinces you. You're seduced by their jawline. That's kind of what it's like with Ilya Tapori at the moment. He's running his mouth around town. He's already put 15-0 current featherweight USC champion in his Instagram bio. And he's very, very arrogant. He's saying, I'm going to knock Volk out in the first round. I'm much better than Volk. My hairline is far superior to his. Now, some of these are more true than others. But the thing is, dude, the guy's wearing a turtleneck looking like a supervillain. And you think this, this stupid little Spanish prick is full of himself. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And then, you, and then he hits you with that Spanish smile, that little, half, that little half smile. And you think, this crazy son of a bitch might just do this, you know? It's very interesting. He's whipping around town in a Ferrari with his girlfriend in Spain. I would never objectify another man's partner, be it male or female. What I will say is that Ilya Taporia's girlfriend is without a doubt the hottest chick I've ever seen in my life. And I had to get so dramatic. I had to get so blue. I had to speak about another man's woman in such a fashion on the airwaves. At the end of the day, I'm a journalist and my only allegiance is to the truth. So she is the hottest chick I've ever seen in my life. And I'll tell you what, the only chick who might be hotter than her is Ilya himself. So this is interesting. He's off. He's on a five-fight win streak, Ilya, and his highlight package is absolutely sickening, like proper deck chair stuff. Like Ilya's folding these blokes up the same way a dad would fold up a deck chair when that southerly comes in at 4 p.m. You know when your parents have been talking about a southerly all day and then it finally comes in and your dad's just like, get to the car, I fucking told you this thing was coming in. I don't know if I'm projecting, but I feel like a lot of my childhood has just been my parents walking around being like, that northwesterly will be coming in soon. That southerly's on its way. The easterly never hit. Just constantly talking about wind. <laughs> but yeah, so Ilya, yeah, he's coming off big wins against Josh Emmett and Bryce Mitchell. He absolutely wrecked these blokes, to be honest. He made Bryce Mitchell as flat as that poor bloke thinks the world is. Emmett was lucky to be alive. I mean, good on Emmett for not being finished, but that was quite gruesome. Quite gruesome indeed. And what does this all mean? Because at the same time, yeah, he absolutely destroyed Josh Emmett and Bryce Mitchell. Honestly, for me personally, as a guy who doesn't know anything about much and is wearing a bucket hat to distract people from his reckless views, I don't think anyone even sanctions Josh Emmett or Bryce Mitchell versus Alexander Volkanovsky. I mean, that would be such a complete mismatch. And to be fair to Josh Emmett, I think he's about 47 years old. And Bryce Mitchell's watched so much YouTube, he might be around the same age mentally as well. So how much do we really learn from those wins? I'm not 100% sure. On the other side of this, you've got Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. The pride of Windang, pound for pound number one on the planet at one stage. If you come to me with this matchup in September of 2023, you say Ilya's next bill, are you nervous? Do you think this will affect your sleep patterns? I would say, I don't give a fuck about this. It will be more of the same from Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. And I'm a big Ilya Taporia fan. Obviously, I've suspended my fandom while he's fighting the pride of Windang Volk himself, who is my absolute hero and an inspiration to me, the reason I get out of bed every day. 
I would have said in September, mate, great fight. Good on Ilya. Very attractive. 50-45 to the Volk. On to the next. Proper $1.20 stuff, I reckon. Sportsbet are sending you all sorts of deals to distract yourself from the fact that there is no money to be made on this fight. Now, I'm going to get up these odds now. This is going to end up as a $1.90 each way, this fight. I think right now it's a $1.98 Ilya, a $1.85 Volk. How the fuck... Is Alexander Volkanovsky defending his featherweight strap for like the seventh time and it's a dollar ninety pick him? Well, the reason for that is that in October, Volk took a fight against Islam Makachev on eleven days' notice and got knocked out brutally in the first round. Brutally, okay? He said he had wild concussion when he got back to Wollongong. He was all over the gaff. So now we've got this thing where Volk is coming off a sickening knockout. He's never been knocked out before in his UFC career. Never been finished before in his UFC career. These are stats I'm just making up, but they, the vibe is good on them. And he's fighting not only the hardest hitter in the featherweight division, but also the hottest bloke. This is toey as hell, and the odds reflect it. I think this fight is going to go the distance. I think if Ilya does not win in the first three rounds, I don't think he can. I don't think Ilya is going to have much for Volk in rounds four or five, as far as the pace of the great man, as far as the pride of Windang starting to run downhill on you in the championship rounds. I think it'll be very difficult for Ilya in rounds four and five. I mean, rounds four and five, that's where Volk lives. That's his home. The last guy to walk out in round four against Alexander Volkanovsky, you look across the cage, Volk's hanging up his washing, mate. He's got, he's got something simmering on the stove. You're in his home. Okay, like in that sports bet ad they did that was absolutely hilarious. Take your shoes off when you come into the Volks home. When you go into round four against Alexander Volkanovsky, you take your shoes off and you decide whether you want a cup of tea or coffee because he's making drinks. So honestly, if, if Ilya cannot knock out the Volk in the first one, two, three rounds, I think it's going to be a long night at the office for him. Also, how... How much is left of Volk's chin after that brutal head kick knockout and the 75 unanswered strikes afterwards? Is Volk a bit chinny? Is, if Volk takes an Ilya right hand in the first round, second round, and just eats it and he's going nowhere, what is that going to do to the young Spaniard? Probably demoralize the fuck out of him. So a lot of unanswered questions really on Volkanovsky's side. How's his chin going to look? Is this the decline? He's 35 now. Everyone says, once you get to 35 below welterweight, you're fucked. I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns in this fight, and that's why it is so exciting. I honestly think, if you were a betting man, which I guess is the point of this, I think most likely scenario, I'm going to be anxious as hell this week. I'm going to be freaking out during the fight itself. And I think afterwards, I'm going to be having a beer on Adzi's balcony going, oh, Another Volkanovsky clinic, 50-45. Ilya gave him a good run, but there's levels to this game. And we'll see you next time, you little Spaniard cunt, hey? That's what I think is most likely. I think Volk points, feed your family, as that bet has for years previously. Volk KO points, I mean, there's blokes living in houses that were built on Volk KO points. There are kids going to private schools their parents could never have afforded if it wasn't for Volk KO points. And once again, I'm going to be sticking with that. So Volk KO points. And, uh, and yeah, tell St. Augustine's that you'll be bumped up the wait list because you're now, you've now got heavy pockets.
Anyway, up next, the co-main event. Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whittaker versus Paulo Costa. Now, another Australian legend. It's going under the radar how sick this is. Robert Whittaker co-main, Volk main event. Wow. What a time to be alive. But yeah, so Robert Whittaker is coming off a pretty brutal knockout loss to Drickus Duplessis. Though I did see in a recent interview, Rob Whittaker said that he actually beats Drickus nine times out of ten. And that was the one time he loses to him. So obviously that South African is lucky. He is a paper champ of the middleweight division. I don't think anyone recognizes his claim to the belt. Robert Whittaker is the uncrowned champ. And that's the end of that. I kind of hate it when fighters say this, like the nine times out of 10 thing. I understand the sentiment of thinking I was off, he was on, you know? By far the worst example of this is when Giga Chikadze got get fought. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even speak because this is the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard a person say, regardless of whether they have CTE or not. Giga Chikadze fought Calvin Cater. He got 50-45. His head looked like a fucking... The hexagon he was fighting in, or the octagon, like a 50-cent piece. It looked like someone took a metal pole to him by the end of this thing with these Calvin Cater elbows from Boston. My God. And it was a gruesome fight, and Giga Chikadze was lucky to be alive by the end of it. He went on Facebook and said that he beats Calvin Cater 99 times out of 100, and that was the one time. I mean... Have a day off, mate. Have a day off. So, Robert Whittaker, again, another fight where if you make this fight in June last year before the Drickus knockout, I go, Robert Whittaker is going to absolutely destroy Paulo Costa. <clears throat> but we got this thing now where Rob's coming off a bad knockout and he looked like shit out there, dude. He looked like shit. He didn't turn up. He got knocked out brutally. What's the comeback going to look like? On the other side of this, you have Paulo Costa, undefeated in 2023. He had matches scheduled against Rob Whitaker himself, Ikram Alaskarov, and Hamzat Chemaev. Three top 10 middleweights, each extremely difficult opponents in and of themselves. He did not lose one of those fights. Now, there will be the haters out there, the negative Nellies, okay? I don't want to point fingers, I don't want to name names, but you know who you are. There will be a portion of the MMA community who point out that Costa pulled out of each of those fights and not one of them took place. Negative. I look at this as someone who enjoys Paulo Costa on social media. I say, didn't lose. Didn't drop around in 2023. Momentum. Momentum is on his side. His last fight was against Luke Rockhold, I think in 2022 or some shit. Luke Rockhold's about 47 and Paulo Costa almost lost. And I think that fight was at like 205 or something. I'm not sure if they made middleweight for that one. So very hard to get a read on this fight. I think Bobby Knuckles is a heavy favorite, as he should be. I think it's like $1.6250. I should write the odds down when I do this, looking to the future. But it's an interesting one. Middleweight's a weird division because after the top five, it like goes off a cliff. UFC is such a young sport that... There is not 15 elite middleweights on planet Earth. Like, I think I am currently ranked number 13 in the middleweight division because of some scrap I got in at the stay in the other week. So middleweight is honestly a disgrace after the top five. I think Bobby is going to gonna win this, obviously. 
I think he's had more activity over the last year. Well, he only fought once in 2023. But it's a weird matchup because you just don't know if Paulo Costa's... You don't know what he's going to look like in the cage. Failing that, you don't know if he's going to make it to the cage. There are questions about whether this fight even takes place. I'm sure it will. I think once they get in there, you know, it's an interesting matchup. Rob Whitaker plays video games. Paulo Costa looks like someone who would beat up people that do. If Paulo Costa was American, his name would be like Flash or Chad or something. He's a very good looking, very ripped man. Definitely roots way more than Rob, even though Rob has 11 children. I think he only has 11 confirmed roots. So Rob's rooting for procreation. Paulo's rooting for sport. That usually would affect the odds, but I do think this is a bit of a war, three rounds. I think Bobby Bobby knuckles on points. I think he gets it done. I don't think you're going to stop Paulo Costa within three rounds. I'm just thinking about that now. I don't think you will. I think Paulo Costa turns up in shape. I think it's a great fight. Bobby Knuckles wins, and I would like to treat myself to a 2024 Rob Whitaker run at the belt. You know? There's a lot happening at middleweight at the moment. There's a bit of a queue, but at the same time, let's get Bobby Knuckles beating Paulo Costa. Let's make the Strickland fight. I'm so glad, Rob Whitaker. if you fight Strickland two years ago and beat him, no one gives a fuck. Bobby Knuckles goes on now, five-round main event against Sean Strickland, beats him. Hamzat Shemaev can't fight out of outside of the UAE because of the warlords he aligns with. Bam! Bobby Knuckles walks into a title shot back end of this year. I'll have a bit of that. I'm sorry, guy at Trendy Cafe in Surrey Hills. Yeah, could I get the toast, mate? But instead of Avo and Feta, could you spread a Bobby Knuckles 2024 title run on there? Because that would be tasty as fuck. So Bobby points, three rounds, all about it. Now, up next, Ian Gary versus Jeff, Hands of Steel, Neil. Now, this is an interesting matchup for several reasons that have nothing to do with the fight itself. Firstly, you got Ian Gary, who is a bit of a character, a bit of a larrikin, I guess you could say, though I think larrikins everywhere would be deeply offended if you lump them in with this absolute cunt. So, here's the deal, dude. Ian Gary, from Ireland, he now trains out of shooter box in Brazil with Charles de Bronx Oliveira, which absolutely kills me. To have one of my favorite fighters team up with my most hated fighter is, that's crap. That is crap. That's like when a bloke you hate has sex with your ex-girlfriend or something. That's how I feel about this. I hate this these two coming together. It's keeping me up at night that they're friends, that they're connecting. But Ian Gary's moved to Brazil. His wife is Brazilian, I believe. I was thinking about his poor kid. So he's got this, this four-year-old Irish kid in this uh, MMA gym in Brazil. And it's like, Ian Gary's going to be very wealthy. I'm sure he'll live in the, the cordoned-off section of the favelas behind you know several walls of military defense. But my God, if I'm this Irish kid... And my dad is going on to become a famous and wealthy UFC fighter. And I'm six months old and he moves us to the fucking favelas so he can work on his jujitsu. I'd be like, mate, are you serious? Are you, can't, can't you just train out of Conor McGregor's gym and I can go to school without dodging machine gun fire? You know? Sweet, a white Irish kid growing up in the favelas of Brazil. Yeah, nah, this would be way easier than growing up in the richest suburb of Dublin. Thank God I dodged that bullet, you know? Oh, shout out to Ian Gary's kid. I hope you've got him on the mats going already because he's going to need it. 
He's going to need that shooter box Muay Thai just to get to school, kick a soccer ball in the afternoon without getting kidnapped. And Ian Gary's going up in one of those, what do you call them? The things that go up mountains, cable cars, you know, throwing 50,000 pesos out of a cable car to get his Irish kid back because he wanted to work on his jiu-jits. It would annoy me if I was the kid. But anyway... I tell you what, dude, I'm watching Ian Gary on The Embedded yesterday, and this is something for anyone out there who's having a tough time, or maybe things aren't going your way. Time heals all. Last December, Ian Gary had all this stuff come out with his wife and his... He had the Neil Magny incident. I'll get into this stuff a bit more, but I don't think I hated anyone on the planet more than Ian Gary in December 2023, when all that stuff was blowing up. And then, after all the dramas, he pulls out of the fight. I don't think I've ever hated anyone on planet Earth more than Ian Gary when he pulled out of that fight in December 2023. I see him on the Embedded this morning, and I just think, there he is. You know, like, I don't really feel as much for him anymore. So, it just goes to show the time heals all. And, and yeah, because... I kind of just ran out of juice on hating Ian Gary, and this is actually a pretty sick fight, so I'm in for it. So I'll do a quick explainer on why everyone hates Ian Gary very quickly. Where to begin? Where to begin? So firstly, Ian Gary was scheduled to fight Jeff Hands of Steel Neal in June last year. Ian Gary turns up to a USC event. He's got Jeff Neal's mugshot on his T-shirt. He's selling merch on his website. It's Jeff Neal's mugshot from a recent DUI. Jeff Neal is ranked like 11 and did nothing to antagonize Ian Gary. Whatever, that fight falls through. Ian Gary goes on to fight Neil Magny. Neil Magny says in a press conference, I'm going to whoop Ian Gary like uh, whooping one of my sons when they haven't eaten their veggies or something. A playful thing saying, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to knock him around a bit like he's just my son, you know, like he's just a kid. Like obviously just saying that Ian Gary is my kid not inferring that I physically abuse my children regularly, which is the way Ian Gary took it. He went on to the following press conferences talking about how Neil Magny abuses his children and should be locked up forever. Neil Magny has then gone on to uh, divorce proceedings and his wife is using Ian Gary's press conference comments against Neil Magny to get full custody of their children. So Ian Gary is an absolute piece of shit. It comes out that he's 26, his wife is 40, his wife wrote a book called How to Be a Wag. His wife, her ex-husband, lives with them and made Ian Gary turn vegan. And the thing, and this is all very peculiar, very bizarre, but the thing that was bubbling in the two years previous to this is that Ian Gary is an absolute cunt. So it's one of those things where you're just looking for a reason to hate him and then all this stuff comes out. And he's got his wife uh, on Instagram doing videos saying, you don't know my husband, you all, you're all cunts. His wife is like the hottest chick I've ever seen, but the optics on her being 40 and making Ian live with their ex-husband, very bizarre, very bizarre. Ian Gary's got his comments turned off on Instagram, doing all these fuck you videos to the fans. I mean, the optics of doing a fuck you video with the comments turned off are not great. And basically, Ian Gary's more or less an absolute piece of shit, but we've sort of gotten over it, I guess. This fight is great. Jeff Hands of Steel Neil, he's a felon, okay? He was doing an interview with Ariel Helwani and his breathalyzer went off in his car. 
He had to blow into it, so his car didn't shut down, which is hilarious. This fight is... It's a good fight. Jeff Hands of Steel Neal, I think... He didn't go three rounds, but he went into the third with Shavkat Rachmanov. Wobbled him several times. I do think Ian Gary just stands at distance here, and it's probably Ian Gary. And Ian Gary points decision. I don't think you're getting Hands of Steel out of there in three rounds either. And I think he just stands at range. If I'm Hands of Steel Neal, I'm taking this son of a bitch down, okay? You want to live in the favelas? Welcome to them. Welcome to the favelas, Ian Gary. Also, Ian Gary took his ex-wife's name. That was one of the other things. He now goes by Ian Machado Gary. So that's weird as hell. That's weird as hell. But it's a great fight. Jeff Hands of Steel Neal, he's got heavy hands. That nickname is appropriate. Ian Gary's a pretty exciting kickboxer. Now he's training out a shooter box. Favorite for a reason. As much as I'd love to see Jeff Hands of Steel Neal knock Ian Gary out cold, I would love that. Okay? I would love that. I just don't see it happening. I think Ian Gary stands at range and gets it done. If Jack Della beats Gilbert Burns, and I don't know what's happening with Leon Bilal and all this shit. I could. What about this? I'm here. I saw they maybe do Leon Hamzat UFC 300. <clears throat> I have no idea why. I have no idea why. But whatever. Hamzat can't fight in America, which is apparently an issue. What if? What if they do Leon Hamzat? And then we do Shavkat, Bilal, Ian Gary, Jack Della, both off wins. Bam. Number one contender fight. And I think Jack Della fucks up Ian Gary as well. So that could be exciting. Up next, Henry Cejudo versus Marab Duvalish. Henry Cejudo is fighting Marab. Duvalish Vili. It's a very difficult last name to pronounce. There's silent W's. Some of the V's are silent. Some of them are not. It's very difficult, okay? I know he's Georgian and he's white, but we're different types of white, I'm afraid. So, Cejudo versus Marab. A sexy fight between two of the most annoying little cunts in the sport. Two very short, very annoying little men. Start with Cejudo. Henry Cejudo, so cringy. Got the worst chat ever. He said Tom Aspinall was a loser for crying when he won the interim belt. He said Volk shouldn't have cried at that press conference. Like, he's just a weird guy. He's just a weird little guy. Yeah, he fired his coach on the UFC countdown, which was so weird. He fired his long-term coach, which I don't, give, I don't give a fuck if you fire your coach. Captain Eric is the man's name. But why would you fire him on camera? You know, he's got the USC cameras here. He's like, come over here, guys. He's like, Captain Eric, thanks for everything, man. For this camp, I'm not going to have you around, but you're a fantastic coach. You're the GOAT. And he's like, got Captain Captain Eric, like, smiling into the camera as he fires him from his longtime position as his full-time coach. And Captain Eric has to, like, stand there and take it because there's cameras on him. That's such weird behavior. Can you imagine if a five-foot-three man did this to you? Mugged you off on camera like this? Ironically, Captain Eric is the only man on planet Earth shorter than Henry himself. But I've actually met Captain Eric when we were in Dallas after the UFC that we went to. There was talks at the time of Henry Cejudo fighting Alexander Volkanovsky. And I was blind at 2am outside a pizzeria in Dallas. And I saw Henry Cejudo's head coach, Captain Eric. So I thought this would be quite a, a sharp moment of opportunity to head over and tell Captain Eric that him and his little runt have zero chance against the Volk, and it will be absolutely murderous if they were to ever fight. 
And I got to say, Captain Eric took it really well. Captain Eric is a great guy. Uh, I actually chatted with him for about 20 minutes and he's an absolute legend. And keep in mind, he's an absolute legend within the context of me coming up to him at 2 a.m., blind out of my mind, standing over him saying that the Volk is going to kill his star pupil. And we still had a bloody laugh. So it speaks to Captain Eric's character. It speaks to my lack thereof. And it was sad to see a good friend like this get fired on camera. So I don't really like Henry Cejudo. And the thing with Cejudo is like he talked all this shit about this comeback. The reality of his fight with Aljo, whether he won, whether he lost, is it was an absolute stinker. It, there's no rewatchability on that fight whatsoever. So I'm not particularly interested in seeing him fight again. And then you on the other side of this, you got Marab Dovalishvili, who is just an absolute a crotch sniffer and a Sunday ruiner. I don't know anyone who's trying to see Marab fight for five rounds, winning via incomplete takedowns and sickening cardio. He's just going to continuously attempt to take people down until they basically just run out of energy to defend any further. And he's so boring. I'm not that into this matchup, but I also kind of am. I'm glad it's only three rounds. Gives Henry more of a more of an opportunity. But yeah, I think they should honestly make like a trans bantamweight division and just send over Marab, Aljo, Henry Cejudo, and Umar Nurmagomedov and have them go hold up, hold each other up against the fence in like a separate division. I don't know. I'm sorry, but if Marab and Cejudo get in the way of me seeing Corey Sandhagen versus Sugar Sean O'Malley for the strap, I'm going to literally behead myself. No, that's pretty dramatic, but it's a fight I'd like to see, okay? It's a fight I'd like to see. Corey Sanhagen versus Sugar Sean O'Malley for the strap after Sugar Sean defeats Cheeto. Even if Cheeto wins, Corey's coming off 50-45 the cunt. So I really have no interest in seeing Marab or Henry fight for the belt. I know Aljo's gone to 145 now. I honestly feel like Aljamain Sterling has not fought in three years. He has zero highlights. I cannot remember a second of anything he's done in the cage in three years. Marab is the same. Henry Cejudo just talks and talks and talks. He looked tiny against Aljo as well. I think Marab's going to maul him. I would say Marab points. I know I'm predicting points for all of these, which is kind of lame. But I think Marab, via mauling, defeats Henry Cejudo. If Henry Cejudo wins, I'm kind of in for him versus Sugar Sean. But really, Henry Cejudo should have to fight twice after that shocking performance against Aljamain Sterling. Now, up next, uh, two more fights I'd like to talk about ever so briefly. Fluffy Hernandez, Anthony Hernandez versus Roman Kopolov is opening the card at middleweight, 185 pounds. This is an exciting fight. I'm really in the market for a Kopolov knockout. Me and Maka were in Mexico during his last fight, and we saw him win via sickening head kick knockout, and it was absolutely electric. Like I said, middleweight, after you get sort of past rankings five to seven, it's an absolute disgrace. I think Marvin Vittori is four, and Jared Cannonier is five. Absolutely no interest in seeing either of those men ever fight. Light heavyweight's much worse. Either way, basically, if this if this fight goes to the ground, Fluffy Hernandez will win. Fluffy Hernandez, he's he's got like a dad bod, a mullet and tattoos. He loves to stand and bang, but he also has sickening jits. And I'm a big fan of that man and what he's about. On the other hand, Roman Kopolov doesn't speak English and has a sickening KO record. So this fight could go either way. I'm in the market for a Kopolov knockout because I just think it's more exciting. 
You get Kopolov in there with really anyone in the top 10, it's Toei. It's a Toei Toei fight. Uh, I honestly don't know what's going to happen in this fight. I have no idea. I know this is supposed to be a, a podcast where I pick fights, but this could go either way. I wish you the best. The next fight, on the other hand, I know exactly what's going to happen. So ride with me on this. Mackenzie Dern versus Amanda Lamosh. Now, this is the best of both worlds for Amanda Lamosh because she was originally supposed to fight Tatiana Suarez. If you don't know anything about Tatiana Suarez, they call her the female Khabib. She's like a gold medal in judo or something. And she's pulled out of the fight. Unfortunate timing from her as she had a documentary about her. She's beaten cancer and like several horrific injuries to continue in her UFC career. She had this documentary on HBO called Unbreakable come out. And unfortunate timing for her, the same week the documentary came out, she pulled out of her fight. So potentially more breakable than the documentaries letting on. But either way, great news for Amanda Lamosh, who would have got mauled. She now gets the credit of taking the fight against Tatiana Suarez without actually having to fight her. Mackenzie Dern is coming in to take this on somewhat short notice. Six weeks out, I think she took it. I think Mackenzie Dern, look, let's get this out of the way. Mackenzie Dern's the hottest chick in the UFC. There's no doubt about that. We wish her the best, okay? I follow her on Instagram, and a lot of the time the sound's not on. We wish her the best. However, I think she could lose her beautiful head in this fight. I think Amanda Lamosh is just such a sickening striker, dude. Now, they're both coming off absolute beatdowns, these girls. The wrong side of both of them, unfortunately. Amanda Lamosh got the absolute fuck beaten out of her by my communist queen, Weili Zhang. Mackenzie Dern got the absolute fuck beaten out of her by the queen of the favelas, Jessica Andrade. So they're both coming off horrific beatings. The difference is that Mackenzie Dern is coming off getting... I mean, yeah, they're both both coming off horrific losses. But really... um, Amanda Lamosh is a bit of a knockout artist, and Mackenzie Dern has some of the worst striking defense I've ever seen. I think Mackenzie Dern gets knocked out here. I mean, she only fought in December. She looked awful in December. Awful. If she won that fight in December, she might be fighting Weili Zhang for the belt. Like, the UFC want to give her a run at the belt. She's so attractive. She's so marketable. She has to do much, much less than her fellow contenders to get there, and she still can't seem to do it. So... Amanda Lamosh, I think, is going to absolutely kill her. I think Amanda Lamosh KO points is the way to go here. Mackenzie Dern is an absolute dog, but yeah, she looked awful in her last fight. So I wish everyone the best this Sunday. It's a fantastic pay-per-view. It's a fantastic time to be alive. Anaheim, California, I've never been. And that's all my observations on the location where the fights will be happening. And that's the end of that. That is the podcast or the UFC 298 Young Investor Meeting. I'm going to look to do these for each pay-per-view just because I enjoy them. So going forward, probably keep doing it. Anyway, guys, big week here of the podcast. My national stand-up tour is now fully on sale. Melbourne, Perth, Brisbane, Adelaide, Canberra, Sydney, Newcastle, Wollongong. Come on down. Brand new show. Best show I've ever written. Schooners after guaranteed. Can't wait to see you. My favorite time of year when I'm back on the bloody road. I cannot wait for this tour. Fuck, this show is so sick. I can't wait for you to see it. 
come on down. The ticket link for those shows will be in the show notes of this podcast or in my Instagram bio. So check that out. Full Australian national stand-up tour on sale now. Come on down. Enjoy the fights this weekend. And I'll bloody see you next time. Woo! Way too long, way too long. Yeah, and I can see the ground now. I'm way too long.